0: invite you to take your Bibles if you will, and turn to Matthew chapter thirteen Matthew chapter thirteen. If you can remember we're studying Matthew chapter fifteen or thirteen and uh, Matthew thirteen is one of those books where we do kind of skip back and forth because we have the parables that are here, and then we also have the interpretations later on and This morning, we're going to look at uh, the parable of the tares and the wheat. So we mentioned our last message in Matthew 13. This chapter is full of parables, and some have called them the kingdom parables. Perhaps that comes from the Lord's response to the disciples' question, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And Jesus said, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So in particular, we look at today a parable that answers one of the most basic and perplexing questions people can have about his kingdom. And according to what Jesus has already said, this kingdom has come in one sense. Jesus has already pointed to the fact that he can cast out demons by the Spirit of God, and he said, uh, because of this, they can know that the kingdom of God has come unto you. Back in chapter 12, verse 28. They asked him when the kingdom of God would come, and he told them, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo, here or lo, there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. says that in Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. You see, Jesus himself is the king, and though it has yet to be realized in its fullest sense, His kingdom has come into the world because he himself has come into this world. But the great question is this. If the kingdom of heaven has indeed come, why is evil still present? In fact, why does it seem that evil is stronger than ever? Now that's a very practical question for the disciples. After all, the kingdom of heaven had indeed come and had begun to spread upon the earth. Why was it that Jesus was meeting with such great opposition from the Jewish religious leaders? Why were they plotting to kill him? Why was there so much resistance to him as the king? In fact, you and I may ask the same question. If it's true that Jesus' kingdom has begun on this earth, then why does it seem as if evil has such a powerful sway over the hearts and lives of so many today? Why is that? Well, even as we speak, there are many brothers and sisters in Christ being brutally persecuted, even put to death in various parts of this world. Why is sin and wickedness so prevalent? and the gospel message so fought against. Well, in the middle here of the 13th chapter, Jesus speaks a parable that gives us the answer. It teaches us that Jesus was indeed fully aware of the fact that evil would seem to be prevailing in this world, but it also is meant to give us hope and courage in the face of that fact. In this parable, Jesus teaches us that though evil will be found mixed into his kingdom for the present, it will be fully separated from the kingdom at the end of the age. His people will be victorious in the end. Righteousness will rule on this earth. His kingdom will prevail. Now, we find this parable in verses 24 through 30, and it reveals to us, first of all, the problem that we must endure, the problem we must endure. Verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which soweth good seed in his field. And while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them, and gather the wheat into my barn. Now Jesus spoke this parable to the multitudes of people who came to hear him, and we know this because when he was finished speaking, he sent the crowds away and he explained the meaning of it privately to his disciples. This is the second parable in this chapter for which he provided a private explanation to his disciples. And please forgive me if I again take some time to point to a repeated lesson in all of this. If you really want to understand our Lord's teaching as you should, whether it concerns his teaching about the kingdom or anything else, it says in his holy word, you need to meet him privately. A genuine understanding of biblical truth does not come in any other context than through a relationship by faith with Him. You know, we need to make it our regular habit to commune with Jesus, to seek insight into His teaching through our relationship with Him personally. And here we're told He put forth a parable to the people. The words, he used in this means to place beside or to place near. It's the same word that is sometimes used in the Bible for the act of setting a meal before someone. It suggests the idea of deliberate, thoughtful care to give what is appropriate. Jesus tailor-made this parable for those who would hear it, and he set it before them like someone would set a plate of food in front of someone for their blessing. And notice what he said about this parable, that it was meant to teach them what the kingdom of heaven was like. It is, he said, likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now think for a moment of the man here in this parable. The sight of a man sowing seed in his field would have been a very familiar sight for those who were hearing his words. Jesus says he sowed good seed. Uh, That suggests he was careful to examine his seeds before he sowed them. He had a particular crop in mind, and in order to grow that particular crop, he was careful to select just the right seeds, the very best seeds and the good seeds that would take root and sprout up and would produce a productive crop in the field. He was very conscientious, was he not? But we're told that something very evil happened. While the man and his servants slept under the cover of night, an enemy crept into his field and sowed something else in the very place where the man had sowed good seed. He sowed something called tares. Now, we could say this is kind of like weeds. Uh, Ever happened to you? Anybody creeping into your gardens, sowing in some weeds? Well, I don't know if anybody's creeping in, but it sure seems like it, doesn't it? Well, the meaning here of the tares is darnel grass or false grain. These, uh, these particular weeds were, had a resemblance uh, to wheat, but it produced no grain. It basically was a weed that was prevalent in those days. It looked very much like wheat, and when it sprouted up, and it even appeared to have the ear that looked like an ear of wheat as it developed. In fact, you couldn't really tell the difference between them until they both became ripe. But the the tares were definitely not wheat. And if the kernels from the tares began mixed up with the kernels of wheat, the bread would have made whoever... Uh, ate it, dizzy, or even sick. This was not good stuff. The man who sowed the tares in the other man's field was doing something very malicious. He was seeking to sabotage and to destroy the other man's crop. It It would put the other man in a terrible situation. It would not allow the tares to be harvested carelessly with the wheat because... That would cause the kernels to be mixed, and it would spoil the value of his crop. But he couldn't simply just go out and pick out the tares, because by the time the tares and the wheat had grown to ripeness, the root systems had become so intermingled together that you couldn't pull one out without destroying the other. And so Jesus tells us that the servants of the man were surprised at finding the tares. They were the ones that the man had hired to work and to till his field. They were the most likely first ones to notice these weeds. And they knew the meticulous care with which their boss had selected the good seed. And they said, sir, how did this happen? You planted good seed. How in the world did it come about that we see these tears? I think they asked a question that very much like a question you and I might ask. If Jesus' kingdom has come into this world, and how is it that evil is found to have sprouted up in it? Why is there so much opposition to the kingdom of Jesus today? Why is there so much harm done to people in its name? Why are there so many governments in the world that are hostile to the spread of the gospel, that oppress their their people in disregard uh, uh, to the message of Jesus' kingdom? How did so much wickedness seem to grow along with the spread of the kingdom on this earth? Jesus, we may ask, didn't you sow a good kingdom in this world? How does it have to happen to have tares in it? Well, the man in this parable gives the answer. He says an enemy has done this. It's not that Jesus sowed any evil in his field. The fact that evil is mixed in this kingdom is the devil's own thing. In the parable, the servants of the man had an idea. Hey, just give us the word, sir, and we'll go out through the field and we'll gather up the tares. But again, their master refused. No, if you do that, you're going to uproot the wheat in the process, and that'll only make things worse. Instead, he told his servants basically to put up with the weeds for a while, and he said, let both the weeds and the wheat grow together until the harvest. Now, at that time, when the wheat was ripe unto harvest, he would send out reapers unto the harvest, and they would tell him, make a distinction. Note the difference between the tares and the wheat. First gather up the tares, separate them from the wheat, bind up the tares into bundles, and burn those bundles in the fire. But having separated them from the wheat, gather up the wheat into my barn. Now, this parable illustrates for us that we live in the midst of a problem. And the problem is that the citizens of the kingdom of Jesus must, it's a problem we must endure. The problem is that as Jesus' kingdom grows in this world, so does evil. The devil has sought to spoil and to destroy the growth and the development of the kingdom of Jesus upon this earth, and he has sowed tares, that is phony wheat, as it were, wheat like weeds in the very place where the good seed was sown. So if you're looking for the reason why there's evil mixed in with the kingdom of Jesus in this world, there is your answer. The fault is not with the kingdom, although that's the impression the devil wants to give us. Rather, the fault is with the devil himself and the malice he has toward the king. That's the problem we must endure. You ever get frustrated with all the wickedness in this world? I heard somebody the other day just complaining. you know, that music from across the road, if it just wasn't so loud, I think I'll go inside and, you know, someone was, there's always something that's taking place that seems to bother us, frustrate us. Why is there so much evil? Well, that's the problem we must endure. But now notice the promise that we must look to. The promise we must look to. And it's found in Jesus' own interpretation of this parable. Again, as a preacher, I appreciate that Jesus doesn't leave it up to me to interpret His words. As we move a few verses ahead here to verse 36, we read this. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him and saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Now this house may be the one which he had been teaching in in chapter 12 up to verse 1 of chapter 13. And that's when the disciples sought greater insight into the master's teaching. And Jesus is always ready and willing to give Insight to those who genuinely want to find it, to that seek it from Him. But look how He begins. He gives them a point by point explanation of the details in this parable. Verse thirty-seven. He answered and said to them, "He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, and the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil." The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Now, he presents himself as the sower, the man who owns the field, and sows what he wishes into it. Now, do you notice that the field is the world? You see it there? It's not a parable about the local church. But it's about the kingdom spread in the world. Many people have mistakenly made the field to be the church and have used this parable to explain why there are so many sinful people in the churches. It's certainly a problem that sinful people would make their their way into churches, but that's really not what this parable is about. Rather, we're told that the field in which he sows is the world, the realm of human life and activity. How many people think the only domain that Jesus Christ exercises any authority over is the local church. But here we see that His field, the place of activity in which His kingdom is growing and progressing, is the world itself. And then do you notice that the seed represents people? In fact, there are two kinds of seed. They represent two kinds of people who have two kinds of destinies. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, that is, those who hear the word of the Savior and respond to it by believing in Him and following Him. But the ter- terrors are the children of the wicked one, that is, those who are under the devil's sway, those who do not understand the Savior's world, uh, who will not follow Him and not trust Him and who will openly oppose Him and fight against His kingdom spread. And you've heard me say it more than once, there are two kinds of people in the world today are either saved or lost. That's what the Bible's teaching us here, right here. Two kinds of people. Children of the kingdom, children of the devil. It's the devil who is presented as the one who sows the children of the wicked one. The fact that the children of the wicked one are compared with the tares suggests that they will be made by him to mix and mingle with Christ's people. And that may at times even appear they may look like the children of the kingdom, but they're not. They may look to the careless eye as if they're wheat, but in time they will be revealed for what they truly are, and that is tares. Now, earlier in the gospel, in chapter 7, Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, beware of false prophets which will come in Come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs or th- of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And again here, do you notice who the reapers are? They're not the children of the kingdom. You know, some might think, well, we're God's people, we're we're the reapers. We're going to reap the harvest. No, it says the reapers are sent out authoritatively by Jesus himself to gather up the tares and separate them from his wheat. They're his angels. And they do the reaping at the harvest. When Jesus says, at the end of the world. This does not speak of the end of the world, but the end of the age in the history of this world. It speaks of a time of judgment at Jesus' return into the world. And that time he described when he said, when the Son of Man come shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall he be gathered all nations, and shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, Matthew 25. Now notice what Jesus says at the close of this parable, verse 40. And therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, and so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of the kingdom all things that offend and that, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, all of this teaches us that we should not be surprised by the fact of evil in this world, but neither should we be in despair. Jesus lets us know that evil will be permitted by Him to grow until the harvest at the end of the age, and then, and only then, will it be removed. And at that time, when the great angelic announcement of Revelation 11, verse 15, is finally made, that the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ and shall reign forever and ever, then, with all things that offend taken away, those who practice lawlessness completely remove the righteous shall shine forth as the son of the kingdom of their father. And so we must, for a time, endure evil in this world, but we win in the end. It's guaranteed. Now, in closing, let me just suggest the principles that we must learn from this parable. The principles we must learn. Several practical lessons I believe we can draw from this parable and our Lord's explanation from it. First of all, there's God's plan. I suggest that we understand it is Jesus' plan that his kingdom citizens be sown in this world and bear his influence upon it. You see this from verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed seed, good seed in his field. And then his explanation of this parable, again, is given in verse 38. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, and the tares are the children of the wicked one. Our Lord has chosen to leave his redeemed people to live in this world, the great field, to bring influence upon it. You see, God's plan is to use you and me, as his children, to influence this world. If he did not want us to influence it, he would save us and take us to heaven. That's all would be, need to be done. But no, his plan is to use us. Before he went to the cross, he prayed for us. He said in John chapter 17, verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but thou shouldst keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also send them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify them, and they also might be sanctified through thy truth. Sanctified means to be set apart. We're to be set apart from this world. And we're to be set apart through the truth of God's word. That's Jesus' great plan for this lost world, to sanctify a people unto himself from out of it, to send them back into the world and bring their, his influence upon it through us. Now in the last chapter of Matthew, we're going to see here it says that Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, "All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I' have commanded you, and lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And if you've heard the message of the gospel and you've believed in Jesus Christ, you are the good seed He has sown upon this earth, and I hope you're thrilled with a sense of greatness of your vital importance. That purpose that God has given to you is important. You bear the life changing message of Jesus Christ to a lost people of this world, and Jesus has left you and me here in this world for a time in order to bring his influence to bear through us. We have great value, and we need to be true to our calling. So we see God's plan. Secondly, we see Satan's desire. Now, another principle we need to draw from this parable, a very sobering one, is that so long as Jesus' kingdom grows in this world, the devil will endure that evil, will, excuse me, will ensure that that evil will also be present. We see that in verses 25 through 28, and from the fact that an enemy has come in and sown the tares. Now you and I need to realize that the devil has everything at stake in seeking to frustrate and destroy the kingdom program of Jesus Christ. If that program succeeds, it means his eternal doom. And so the devil seeks to sow his own wicked influences in the Lord's field and sometimes even in the very places in which the good seed has been sown. I think We get a good sense of this kind of evil when he seeks to plant next to the good seed what Jesus says he will one day tell his reapers to remove. He calls them to gather out of his field all things that offend. Literally, he speaks of stumbling blocks, that which causes people to stumble in their faith or fall into temptation to sin. Those who practice lawlessness. That is, those who practice and advocate actions that violate God's standards of holiness in His law. I think here of unbelieving and malicious people who, under the inspiration of the devil, seek to cause professing believers to doubt their faith. I think of maybe some of those university professors who are causing young people to doubt their faith in in some of our countries. Uh, universities across, across the country, trying to persuade them to dabble in sin. Perhaps they advocate some unbelieving philosophy or promote the teaching of some cult. Or as one professor was known to do, is take a piece of paper out, students, write the name of Jesus on it, put it on the floor, and stomp on it. Maybe they're promoting some new liberation from God's standards. You don't need to listen to those old-time gospel preachers. You see, whatever the nature of this sowing is, Jesus is serious about it. He warned that whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which, believe in me, it would... We're better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he'd be drowned in the depth of the sea. We often think of that as being for little children, but you know our college students are little children yet too. Sorry, fellas. You're still children for the most of us here. And we don't want you to be offended. We don't want you to be led astray. But for now, so long as the kingdom is being spread in this world, the devil will seek to sow tares where God seeks to sow wheat. That's God's plan and uh, Satan's desire, but notice our role. Our role. A third principle we draw from this parable is Jesus' followers. It's not our role, it's not our responsibility to remove that evil from the presence of this world. We see this in verses 28 and 29 where the servants of the owner come to him and they offer to gather up the tares. And he says, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. He left that important work to the reapers at the time of harvest. And this teaches us it is not our job to do what Jesus will send his angels to do. It's not our job, it's not our role to remove the evil from this world. Now, I would hasten to say that we must keep this in balance with other passages of Scripture. For example, it's important as a part of our role and duty in this world to serve as salt and light. Jesus told us that in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, "'Ye are the salt of the earth, ye are the light of the world.'" we're to let our light shine in this world that men may see our good works and glorify our father and we're to serve as a preservative in this world to keep the corruption of sin from overwhelming everything in it and when it comes to believers it's our responsibility to lovingly confront sin in the midst in our midst and call one another to repentance the bible tells us though have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. He does say reprove, not remove, okay? So we need to remember that evil will always be present in this world all the way to the day of judgment, and it's not our task to completely remove it. It's not our role to make heaven on the earth, nor is it our, even in our ability to do so. You can start trying to eradicate evil in this world, and you've got an endless job. And I don't think you'll be very productive as one of God's children. Historically, whenever Christianity has established some movement to try to purify the world of evil, some campaign to forcibly remove sin from culture, it's usually ended up harming everyone, including the good people of Christ's kingdom. And we end up uprooting the wheat. And so the removal of evil from this world is the job of the angels at the time of judgment. That's what the Bible teaches us. Because they're sent by the Lord Himself, they're better equipped to administer judgment more justly and accurately than we could ever do. It's not our job, it's not the job of the seeds to pull the weeds. Notice, fourthly, our faith. A fourth thing we learn from this parable is that we are to patiently persevere in faith and obedience until the day that Jesus himself orders the complete removal of all evil from the present world. In verse 30, the owner of the field told his servants to let both the tares and the wheat grow together until the harvest. And the time of the harvest, the landowner would send out his reapers to take care of things. But until that time, it was the duty of the servants to continue doing their job. And so likewise, we are to trust the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of the temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And when that time is right, the on, and only the Lord, the great landowner, knows what time that is, he'll send his angels. It's not our task to worry about it, but rather to keep about our business. Be faithful. Be faithful. Persevere in your faith. Remain obedient to His call. Live as the salt and light of this world. And then, fifthly, our warning. Notice the warning here. Let me close with this one last lesson we learned from this parable. Jesus said it Himself at the end of the interpretation in verse 43, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now this is a crucial and practical message from Jesus. And whosoever has been given the grace to hear it should diligently take heed to it. The warning of this parable is a dreadful one. It tells us if a man or a woman is not one of the children of the kingdom, that is someone who has heard the message of the gospel and placed their faith in Jesus Christ and trust Him and follow Him and obey Him, then they are among the tares who will be gathered up by the angels on the day of judgment at the end of the age, and they're going to be cast into the furnace of fire where there will be an eternal wailing and gnashing of, of teeth. And so I believe Jesus is showing great mercy in speaking these words now when we may hear them and we may turn to him for salvation. Maybe there are those here today who have not believed But now you've heard it. And I trust you will take heed to this warning. There is a day of judgment that's coming. And for those of us who've heard it, may we faithfully continue to proclaim the gospel message and see people saved. You know, we can get so concerned and worried about all the evil in this world, we forget we have the answer. And we can help people if we'll give them the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that as you've given to us a wonderful parable, a wonderful indication of what is going on in this world today. What our place is in this world, we're either here as one of two kinds of people, children of the kingdom or children of the wicked one. And we pray, Lord, if there are those here this morning who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they would come to know him before it's ever too late. And may we who know you be faithful to obey your word, to proclaim the gospel to those around us. We can be so concerned about the evil, we can lay awake at night and worry about it instead of just letting you take care of it. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be that faithful influence upon this world that you've left us here to be. Speak to our hearts, Lord, as we close this service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.